Welcome to Total Teen Health and Wellness, the podcast for parents of teenagers to learn more about how medical and mental health issues are affecting their teen children. This is Dr. Shauna Garza, and I'm an adolescent medicine physician, providing essential education and helpful guidance to parents of teens and young adults. This podcast encourages parents to empower their teen children to live healthy and balanced lives. Welcome back, everyone. This is episode 11, and today we're going to continue the discussion about eating disorders and go over what I do as a physician in evaluating for medical complications and issues related to eating disorders. I don't want this talk to be too technical, but I am going to go over some physical signs and symptoms and also some ways that we evaluate patients so parents know what to expect. So when they're scheduling with me for a new evaluation, of an eating disorder, these are the kinds of things we're talking about and also what we'll be ordering and evaluating. So of course, initially we wanna see the patient's weight. Weight is very important because we wanna see if this is within the normal range for a patient. And we also wanna compare that weight to prior weights. I often will like to review prior growth curves, which might have been done at the pediatrician, and that's the curve where your weight is plotted over time, and many patients have seen their pediatrician for several years where they have a lot of data points to see kind of where we expect them to be at this age. We also measure the patient's body mass index, which is how their weight and height compare. And then we look at that as a percentile. Both of those numbers we look at as a percentile, which is the percentile expected for their age and where they fall in that range. Those numbers can show us really the severity of what we're addressing and can be relevant as far as making decisions in what level of care a patient needs for treatment. Essentially, when patients are severely low weight and have severely low BMI, they often need to be in an inpatient level of care to safely feed them and to safely start recovery. We also check the vital signs, just like anytime you go to the doctor and you have your heart rate and blood pressure checked. And we have parameters we're looking at. If those numbers are too low or too high, that can be a sign of something going on related to a medical complication. We also will check patients' vital signs in different positions. Those are called orthostatic vital signs, and that is checking your heart rate and blood pressure, both lying down and standing up. And when we see a big variation in those numbers, that can mean we really need to look into this further, check patients' heart function, and maybe they need to be monitored in a different environment than we could provide in outpatient care. I ask about a lot of different symptoms that patients are having, medical, physical symptoms that patients are having related to being undernourished. And it really goes at the concept that food is fuel and that our body, of course, needs fuel in order to function well. So when patients get into what I call a low fuel state because they're not fueling their body, they're 
restricting and they're malnourished and undernourished, the body senses that. It senses there's not enough fuel to sustain the function of all the systems that our body needs to work well. And so our organ systems and many organs themselves are not getting the fuel they need and they don't function well, and that can cause many physical symptoms. So we talk a lot about food as fuel so that patients really understand that their body is a machine that will only work well when it is well-fed and well-fueled. And many dietitians use the same approach. I think it helps patients get away from labeling food as good or bad or even healthy or unhealthy, but just that their body needs fuel to function. And if they're not feeding it, they can start having a lot of serious complications. So what can happen is some of the organ systems can go into what we call a reserve mode where they're kind of waiting to get fuel and maybe functioning a little but not well. Or there can be systems that completely shut down, and that's obviously can be really serious in, when we're talking about the heart and kidneys and other things. So I'll just kind of go through some typical symptoms that we ask about and that patients report. And so as a parent, if you are hearing your children complain about these issues or you're observing frequent physical symptoms, it's very important for them to see a doctor who is well oriented to treating eating disorders and understanding that these physical symptoms can relate to underlying issues and being malnourished. One thing that's very serious and needs to be evaluated is anytime a patient reports chest pain, chest pressure, chest discomfort, palpitations, which is your heart beating too fast or racing, shortness of breath, all of that we want to know about. That may be a sign that the heart is actually not getting enough fuel to function well. We have patients that will have um, muscle loss in the heart. The heart is actually a muscle that pumps. And so if they've had such extreme weight loss that their heart muscle is less than expected, that can affect how their heart pumps. And then there can be electrolyte abnormalities that can affect the rhythm of the heart. The malnutrition can affect the wiring of the heart. All of that we want to check and examine and know more about. And typically what I do is if a patient is okay and stable in my office, I will send them to see a cardiologist. And I have a few cardiologists that I refer to for patients that are needing to have their heart looked at more closely. And typically what they're doing is an EKG, an echocardiogram, which is a ultrasound of the heart to see how it's pumping, and sometimes other studies as well. But that is very important for us to know about those symptoms and to move forward in evaluating them because it can be a sign of something really serious going on. Patients will also report a lot of symptoms related to their GI system, which is, you know, the stomach and intestines. They may have a lot of heartburn. They can have bloating and nausea, feeling like they get full really easily, constipation. And so, you know, we want to know about those things. Sometimes we need to evaluate them by sending them to see a specialist. 
but often we can give them guidance as far as treatment they can try or prescribe medications to help with those symptoms. Many of the symptoms in the GI tract are related to being undernourished and that system just not getting the fuel that it needs to function well. And so symptoms can actually improve through nutrition. Once they get to eating more and working with a dietitian and having a consistent meal plan, their symptoms may improve and that's what we hope for them. We ask all of our female patients about their periods because if they start having irregular periods or if their periods stop completely, that can be a sign that their ovaries are not working well. I've had patients that are in their teen years have ovarian failure, which is where their ovaries are completely shut down and not making estrogen, and that is very abnormal for their age. We expect their estrogen levels to be at you know normal range and that their body is still going through a lot of growth and development and even puberty changes in the teen years. I did episode nine on normal puberty and what to expect. So if you have kind of more interest in learning about that in your child, you can refer back to that episode. So if patients have absent periods, um, we call that amenorrhea. This is getting a little technical. Um, We want to look at a lot of their hormone levels, which is assessed through blood work. And then we typically will refer patients for a bone density scan. Bone density is affected by estrogen. And so when patients have low estrogen, they can have thin bones and their bone density can go down, which means their bones aren't as strong as we expect them to be for their age. And this can be real serious. This can lead patients towards having early osteoporosis, We can also see um, stress fractures and other bone problems with sometimes minimal injury. Even just from overuse, they can have injury. And so those are things we want to know about and treat if they're having absent periods. Patients also will often report swelling, especially when they start um, eating again or refeeding. And so we want to know about that. That can be treated. And then we do a very comprehensive physical exam, which is not unique to our practice, but we are looking for signs on the exam that could be related to a complication with eating disorders. And that's, you know, very extensive. All of my patients that I see, especially for an initial evaluation, do blood work. And on that lab work, we're looking really at the whole body and how it's functioning. We're trying to check all different organs that we can get a sense of the function on lab work and then also checking for electrolytes and hormone levels and other labs related to inflammation and their nutritional status. And so that can help us see what's going on internally and can help us identify even medical instability. If, if patients have very abnormal electrolytes, for example, that could be a reason that they need to be inpatient to have that treated and monitored safely. We also, you know, as I mentioned, treat the symptoms. So when patients are having constipation, we talk to them about how to treat that, what's recommended, what's safe to use. And so that's part of my approach is just offering treatment and guidance on how to help them feel better, especially at those early stages of recovery where they have persistent symptoms that hopefully will get better 
once they improve their nutrition. I've mentioned that a lot, but nutrition and eating enough and fueling the body is often the main treatment for some of the medical complications and some of the physical symptoms. Patients will feel dizzy when they haven't eaten enough or had enough to drink. And so when they are eating better and drinking better, that symptom improves. So we don't necessarily treat everything with medication. We emphasize that nutrition and restoring their weight and moving through recovery with the guidance of a dietitian can be very helpful in improving some of these medical and physical symptoms. One thing that comes up often in my patients um, that is a hard conversation to have is how exercise fits in to their day-to-day life. If we're worried about things going on with their heart or their vital signs or things that I feel like are unstable, then often we talk about restricting exercise and avoiding exercise completely. Why this is hard is that I take care of a lot of patients that are high school athletes, are involved with dance, are involved with cheer, activities that are important to them and can have a really positive role in their life. Many patients will see that, though, as a motivation in recovery to get back to those activities. And so we don't want the restriction of exercise to be punishment, but getting back to exercise can really be a reward and a positive motivating factor. So when we restrict exercise, it's really about the medical safety of the patient being deemed unsafe to exercise. And so avoiding exercise until we have more information or until things improve and are more clinically stable. I see patients back very um, soon in visits, every one week, two weeks, three weeks, so that I can monitor how they're doing and then hopefully be able to allow them to return to exercise as soon as it's safe. We usually do that in a gradual way. Often we'll clear patients to do walking first before they return to more intense exercise. And then we also may look at the time involved with exercise that they're allowed to do smaller amounts of time before they return to their full activity, especially if they're in an intense program like a club sport or a sport or dance that they're doing several hours per week. So to summarize, the way we look at patients and examine them for medical issues related to their eating disorders is it's a comprehensive approach, really treating the whole person and looking at every system in their body that might be affected by malnutrition and weight loss, really trying to work with dietitians to focus on nutrition as a way to improve symptoms. And essentially, we want to make sure patients are safe and that we are screening them for everything that could possibly be related to their eating disorder and getting them the treatment they need. So look forward to follow-up episodes on issues related to the care of eating disorders in my adolescent medicine practice. If you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we specialize in this. We see a lot of new patients with these concerns, either that parents are become aware of or pediatricians note at their visits with our patients. 
please reach out to us online. You can learn more about our practice on our Girls to Women website, which is gtw-health.com. And my practice is located in McKinney, Texas, and I serve a very large geographic area. Patients come see me from about a 20 to 30 mile radius because the care of eating disorders is very unique to our practice. We're here to support and guide parents as they get treatment for their child's eating disorder. We know it can be a long and bumpy road, but having the right professionals on your team can make a real difference in helping your child recover. Until next time. Thanks for listening today. If this episode helped you better understand the health of your teen and you're ready to learn more, please subscribe to hear future episodes of this podcast. Consider sharing it with other parents of teenagers. And remember, parents can help their teens live healthy and balanced lives. Thank you.